Hello, and I'm Annika Wills, and I played Polly in Doctor Who in 1966, and you are listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 507 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where you can tell us the danger of something, but if you show us, we'll be more inclined to listen. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. I'm Haley. And I'm Jay. This week, we are a stone's throw away from the first of three highly anticipated specials that bring back Donna Noble and the 10th, I mean, 14th Doctor. But that's not the only unexpected return to the screen. As fans have been guessing for months, the guest star appearance of Neil Patrick Harris in 2023 will be the role of the Toymaker, an adversarial character not seen on screen since 1966. Given the compounding clues that Russell T. Davies has been allowing in the teaser trailers to date, it became clear that this slow reveal was likely intentional and that the showrunner wanted the hype train to be bringing this immortal question mark, being uh, to a modern audience. But who is this enemy? And why is it such a big deal that they in particular are getting a new Who update, as other classic villains have in the post-2005 era? So we're going to take a little time today to get our heads in the game, pun fully intended, and understand a bit more about the Celestial Toymaker. There's nothing to spoil here as we don't know the upcoming storyline any more than the average viewer, but we are going to discuss what's known about the character just as we would for one of our any past television stories. So if you'd rather come into this totally unaware, we get it. But for us, we're going to go on to move 1,024. When I was preparing some uh, some rough overviews of the toy maker uh, based on what we know from the one surviving episode of the four uh, from the 1966 story. There were a lot of comparisons that immediately sprung to mind from a somewhat more modern science fiction character, uh, that being Q from Next Gen, for all you Star Trek fans out there. I know enough about the Q character to know that it sort of drew a bit of a, a parallel in my mind, but I don't know that particular character well enough to say that certain things may or may not um, map uh, analog well enough to the toy maker. So d- d- do you all consider yourself relatively next-gen savvy? I mean, I've, I've watched it a few times, yeah. it's I, I know the character fairly well. Yeah, I've seen some amount of next gen, including a handful of Q stories. Okay. Yeah, most of my exposure would be Voyager, where he shows up. But oh, right, right. Yeah, I, I think one major difference would be that Q joins the world that we live in. He doesn't pull people into his. True. And that's a that's very different. But mm-hmm. I think that he can show up whenever he wants to and change reality is. Very similar. Right. So for listeners who are sort of getting an understanding of the Toymaker for the first time, there's the baseline understanding that uh, this being, I guess, uh, you could say, I wouldn't even say creature or person because we don't really know for certain, uh, is described as being eternal for all intents and purposes, uh, but lives within a dimension or a universe or a reality entirely of his own that we get the impression is sort of made by him and controlled by him, but also, I guess, uh, to Julie's point, kind of feels like almost it contains him as well, or he chooses not to to venture out of it. 
I think it's more that from what I watched and what we've done kind of research on, it seems like he chooses to bring people, creatures, beings as playthings and companions to challenge him. And he's unwilling to leave where he feels safe or completely in control. Mm. Makes me wonder if he can do the same manipulation of space and time or things if he were not in his own realm. Okay, sort of a Kalel's only powerful in front of a yellow sun, not a red sun <laughs> kind or of a deal going here. In, only in his dimension does he have the power to build the games and control things. Um, hmm. Or maybe it takes some time to set up the games, so he needs to get that all done before he invites people <laughs> over to play. Based on the original set of games that we saw, they weren't terribly complicated, but uh, super complex. But, all powerful being, all powerful being required to get those going. Yeah, hey, hopscotch. <laughs> that's I, I wonder if that's not just a limitation of the the production back in the day, because there, there's nothing that really leads us to to that conclusion, aside from the fact that they don't actually go anywhere else. But right. I, I wonder if that's just like we have you know, three sets that we can do. So it's all going to be this, this kind of uh, thing. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if that's just, if that's not going to be the case moving forward. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm still wondering about the point uh, about the, the limitations or potential limitations to his power. He does at least reaching beyond the, the veil, so to speak, does have the ability to pull people in, mm-hmm. including the TARDIS, which shows that, you know, that's a bit of a flex right there. Right. So I mean, uh, black holes pull stuff in, but I don't know that that means it's (laughs) right. Yeah. yeah. Well, if the TARDIS got close enough, I think that it may, right? Because they they were at the approach horizon, and he said you got to stay this far back. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess depends on uh, how hard you want that science to be on any given week. (laughs) Maybe through every black hole is the Toyland. (laughs) There's the theory that went around that the the possibility of this this why are we seeing 14 why are we getting uh this dr donna return is this all just a fever dream you know what's going on with all this might have something to do with a bent reality enforced by the toy maker which might gain a little bit of credibility in the fact that 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 showdown should specifically be the giggle being the third of the three specials so maybe that's kind of the culmination of this this whole thing so i I like that if it if proves to be true it's are are you thinking then that the toy maker has recreated the more of earth because it seems like the first episode clips we got were running around i mean not Specifically, not games, right? It's dealing with the meep and the other thing, right? The the warriors, but the but I'm I'm saying that that yeah, this is uh sort of a um a f- the thought is that this is a false reality that the toy maker chose the moment of regeneration to step in and mess with the doctor for a bit, and this is literally happening within seconds as we go from thirteen to fifteen. So right. David Tennant, new fourteenth, is not actually a regeneration of the Doctor. It's just a thing that's in the Toyland as part of the new game. So, so the the thought goes. And this is just a bigger Toyland than we got in the original story. Right. I think we'll know by the first episode, right? If there's any inkling of it, or <laughs> if it's nah, we're just getting an encapsulated episode on that third one. You always Ooh. know the perfect question. If you need to know what reality you're in, you always ask who played Marty McFly in Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah. If they say Eric Stoltz, run like hell. <laughs> or is that like the episode one cliffhanger? Like, oh, this isn't reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is a character that the the doctor knew going into the original story. Um, and it seemed like they're, they may have known each other for quite some time before that. Yeah. I guess things get muddy. If you try to take things like the novelization of the story into account, or obviously, you know, what's been done with, uh, with novels and, and big finish, you know, since, but the thought that, 
they grew up together could have potentially been uh, or at least had been from the same universe or same uh, basis of origin, in which case... Uh, Do we know if the Toymaker is a Time Lord? I don't. I have gotten no indication that the. So one of the videos I watched preparing for this said there was an earlier version of the script where he was explicitly a Time Lord, mm-hmm. but that that was dropped from the final version of the script. Right. Okay. There were a lot of changes that had to be made to the to the story uh, before anything aired because the they gutted the the previous story. Apparently, had been uh, a rather malicious use of budget funds to try and uh, get back at BBC drama. There went our epic toy land. Right. So you're, <laughs> you're left with a bunch of uh, blocks and, and you couldn't even shoot the scenes to be in the scope that they wanted to be like all the things that were happening for blind man's bluff and, and, and dealing with the, the little uh, nasty schoolboy were all supposed to happen in these vacuous spaces you know, sort of like this, uh, I'm in the middle of this uh, absence of space, right? Mm-hmm. This nether space, and it's supposed to go on forever. But like, instead, you felt like you were inside a drum and everything was shot with mid-frame shots where you couldn't even see the floor half the time. So they're jumping around and, and doing all these maneuvers and you can't even see the what it is that they're leaping on. So there's no real sense of danger. But I think the the potential especially for a younger viewer at the time, as far as the impact that that could have on taking... The, the, it kind of had a squid game feel to it, right? The, mm. the whole idea of taking these simple childhood games with deadly consequences. And that, even if the production value wasn't something that we would look at today and say, oh, come on, let's, let's, let's be realistic here. Well, the whole point was we weren't being realistic. And to your 7 to 12-year-old viewers back in 66 or so, that's a pretty profound impact. In walks Russell T. Davies saying, I remember having the crap scared out of me as a kid. <laughs> I, I think there's something to the fact that there are three of these four episodes lost to time. So we, we've run into instances, I can't count how many times, where I'll go back and I'll watch something I saw when I was a kid that had an impression on me and it didn't hold up. Right. So since there's no persistent record of what at least the first three episodes of this story were like all that you're left with is head cannon <laughs> and when your head is russell t davies's head <laughs> that can be a very scary a, thing <laughs> that's a big cannon right? <laughs> well, I believe that's a double barrel cannon <laughs> you also mentioned that i think it's the novelization that had the point about the doctor and the toy maker being from the same dimension if mm. they choose to run with it you could take the story we got in The Timeless Child and combine that with that element of the Doctor and the Toymaker's backstory and build off of something that many fans are saying, that's not going to be real canon, we're going to wipe that away. Mm. That's a good point. Uh, something that apparently uh, we're going to be addressing in these specials to a small degree, or at least we know so far that it's, it is going to get some slight inclusion because they people feel free to ask russell about his predecessors um in the in the showrunner seat and he will speak plainly um but i i i I take him at his word so when he says things positively or negatively i i believe that's what he honestly feels um the the thing i'm wondering is the, the 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 final we've had a number of of big bads that have come back after long long absences the most most often the master who gets not only in some instances just defeated and oh slap my wrist and send me packing in my tardis but there are times when there is a massive kaboom and you think well they're dead <laughs> um, or they got right so in this case the entire existence was blown to bits. It literally, literally turned into a nebula. Yeah. So, like, blown to bits is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Little bitty bits. 
stars were then born, and then somehow the toy maker became right. again. <laughs> so I have to I have to wonder why. It, it, sure, there's the fun factor of of Russell saying, you know, just as Moffat did before him, Chibnall did to a certain degree. Look how clever I can be, you know, and I'm going to do this unexpected thing. But there's something there. There is a panoply of characters that could have been tapped to bring back the Ronnie, for instance. The, there's the, still time for that. Yeah, the meddling monk who I've been looking for 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 some time. Right. Love speaking him. speaking of rogue time lords. Yeah. So why why do you think the toy maker is returning now? I I wonder if it was. I'm not sure what came first, whether Neil Patrick Harris was cast or the the uh, the role was in the script. Because if if you if you're like, okay, we're we're bringing in NPH, yeah, we've wanted to get him on the show for a while. Let's bring him in for a special. Who would he fit? I mean, the toy maker is just kind of like it's right friggin' there. Yeah, it, mm. if he decided he wanted to have the toy maker in there before NPH was ever discussed. That speaks more to to RTD's experience beforehand and thinking about like what would be a good thing to fit this story, which admittedly we don't know what the story is. So it might be that nobody else would fit this, but I don't know. It it, it I, I like the the headcanon that uh that they had NPH on the phone and they're like, okay, who do we have that's gonna fit this guy? And really, I mean, who who can you have that's that over the top? So I like I was the gonna idea. Say, I wonder if the order of operations went. They decided to bring back Tennant and Tate to really bring back in mem- members of the audience that have been lost over the last few years to a time when the show was at its most popular, and then at that point dug back through the annals of Doctor Who lore to find a villain that would allow them to manipulate whatever bits of reality or time they needed to to make that jump with the characters. I like to think that it's a little bit more something with putting the doctor in a situation where hard choices have to be made. And one of the toughest decisions for Uh. the 10th generation of the doctor was, can I destroy this character or this person being again? And so you're taking something that the doctor knows from the first moment that they've met them it's gone through time. Now we've come full circle back around to this generation of the Doctor, and they have to choose again to make that choice. So it had to be a return of a Doctor so that the longevity of the 15th with Shooty is not started in such a conflict, but that you can still let that play out as the next few seasons go through. You don't want the new doctor to sacrifice their uh, companion in a Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, and the choice to win the game to save we don't know what, right? Mm -hmm. Probably the stakes will be raised. It's not just going to be the two companions that are with the doctor. It's going to be something much more elevated. So if any of what you all are throwing out there or guessing that this is an entire reality where people are real or or something else is changed mm-hmm. and and or Donna who we know has got been given to us in multiple stories where she is the central most important character turn left the Dr. Donna and now he has to choose again right the the ultimate awful game is a Russian roulette with only two barrels. So it's yeah, or any any game. Yeah, the the stacking. You know, any choice to finish that off where this person is still here. You can't save this one. It's one of the games that we hate to love to hate to play mm-hmm. in our own podcast. Is which one do you choose? Who do you? Yeah. Who would the doctor save? And this puts it. In an episode where you're forcing that choice, and I just i I wouldn't put it past that to be part of the goal of what's going to happen. As far as the sequence of you know how did it come about, I know from 
the the few things that they've been willing to divulge that Russell wanted to have David involved. David wanted to have Catherine involved. He was actually the one that pushed to have the Donna story worked in. So in my head, this becomes like a sequence of events that, okay, Russell seeks David. <laughs> David wants Catherine. In order for that to make any sense whatsoever, you have to have some sort of a blurring of the past and either um, either an alternate reality or a manipulation to present time uh, of such a magnitude that an impossible sequence occurs that puts that doctor back in under duress so that they have to be drawn to Donna in particular. So that's somebody manipulating. Mm -hmm. Ooh, like the circumstances happened where they never met before and they're not quite sure or they did meet, it's afterwards, but the doctor never regenerated previously and now it's like coming back to this story. Right. I Picking up without the, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Toymaker is a good fit to make that sort of thing happen. Granted, we did not get to see them really go tete-a-tete -tete with the Doctor in their original story because Hartnell's health was what it was and a lot of things had to be shot such that so that he could have a rest. I mean, he, his health was failing, but he did not want to lose the role. Um, so this would give us a chance to be able to see what happens when this meeting of brilliant minds really goes at it when the gloves are completely off. And now there's a revenge factor that it's not just a familiarity between the toy maker and the doctor. Now there's a seething hatred towards the doctor. So how can you, how can you stay within the rules of whatever twisted game he's come up with but it hurts every step of the way because he wants it to hurt every step of the way. But can we please not have clowns? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to have any clowns. Although somebody did spot on one of the set photos that when there's that, we've seen the, the promo shots of the outside of the toy maker's shop, right? And it's got all the little, little trinkets mm -hmm. and the marionettes and stuff. There's over near one of the the hanging signs uh, outside one of these little uh, adjacent shops is a little iron wrought clown with the tears exactly matching the ones that we saw in the original story. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Yeah, so there's probably going to be clowns. I'm just wondering if it's going to actually solidify what the original thought was that the people that that the um that oh, for Do sure. That Dodo and and uh, Steve had to deal with in the original story were actually those who lost the game. He says that it's was never canonized. It was he never says explicitly that, said. Oh, okay. I thought it. Yeah. I thought he said that. Yeah. It's been the interpretation because of the fact that you had actors who were playing multiple roles uh, within that story. I thought, oh, well, you're seeing the same faces. It's not just because Britain only has 12 actors. It's because mm -hmm. you're forced to be involved in multiple games and keep losing over and over again. I thought he's, I thought Dodo asked, where did they come from? And he said, oh, they lost. They are here. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. I thought it was, but maybe I was reading and then watching and putting words into the script <laughs> that weren't really there. You wouldn't be the well, only one to do that. I know, right? <laughs> as far it makes as, sense. As far as expectations. So, you know, we've got some theories as to how this could possibly be happening, but uh, do you now think that there is going to be a strong connection between these three specials, or will they be a little bit more compartmentalized? I suspect we're probably going to get a – they're going to be three separate stories that you get breadcrumbs in the first two leading to the third. Because that's what RTD liked to do with, with his original run. You know, you had, had the little vote sacks and stuff sprinkled in. People would make reference to the character or the, you know, the bad wolf scattered throughout. So it, I don't think it's going to be like this story strictly informs the next one and so on and so forth. But I think we'll see things in the first two episodes that will come to fruition in the third that you probably mm. won't catch until you go back on a rewatch. 
Right. Oh, darn. Yeah, I was going to say a similar story structure. I think each episode is going to be very much its own thing, but also very much building toward the ultimate climax of the third episode. I won't bet against that. No, I wouldn't. I I, it's you would expect because of the nature of uh, I, I wouldn't expect them to be able to figure out the reason why why this face again, you know, for uh, for the first two installments. I think that has to be sort of the undercurrent. And if the final answer to that is, oh, well, because I put you in that face, remember me? I think that that's how you get an epic storytelling experience across three episodes with, we've found out, very good directors Mm -hmm. and putting their stories together where they know those little tie-ins and can highlight that, but not make it too much. And without uh, saying, hey, I want to make a Doctor Who movie, (laughs) and I want these people (laughs) to be my stars in it. Right. I guess that kind of explains, too, why then... If the if the general thoughts, especially speaking of the directors, as far as what uh, Rachel Talley had said about her take on uh, sort of a, a high altitude look at the top line of each of these specials, she calls hers, you know, which is the the one we'll be seeing first, as the the sort of this classic who feel, right? Um, real adventures, uh, strange alien beings, and 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 oddity. The second one, which would be the middle of this story arc. Um, as Wild Blue Yonder is supposed to be just weird. Everybody's just using the adjective weird. It's it's out there. It's confusing. It's meant to throw you off. So maybe that's something where all of a sudden everything that is was already upsetting is now getting really, really alarming and confusing and, and has you sort of questioning everything. And then... Denouement. Yeah. And then the final one ends with, ha-ha, it's because it's been me all along messing with your head mm. up in your chili so yeah this is this is gonna be a great <laughs> few weeks it's like when you it's like when you open the board game box and you think you know what the game's about and then you get halfway through and you're like hold on let me read those rules again because i don't <laughs> think i got it me the and then finally you realize oh okay i get this now <laughs> <laughs> we've been and playing this play all again. wrong we should start over <laughs> yeah <laughs> I hate strong word. <laughs> no, I, I I don't use the, I don't use this term often. Uh, but I hate the fact that that the the partnership with Disney or Disney Plus and this distribution channel that has so many positives to it is also making things so irritating. It's it's a it's a mixed blessing in every sense of the word as far as i'm concerned because anytime you're dealing with streaming broadcasts you end up with things like um programming schedules or or plan ahead schedules that people start watching and saying oh remember the days of dvr saying all of a sudden my dvr said it scheduled uh this that and the other thing so uh, somebody must have accidentally put the air date for this episode in early because i know when it's coming because my box is already ready to record it that was fun for a while. Yeah. And and now we've got um, release schedules for the streaming platform that are giving us really great information. Like, hey, uh, we know the, the, the title of our Christmas special, which will be the first full episode of our 15th Doctor. Why are you saying that's irritating, though? Ah, I'm saying because it's a, it's a double-edged sword. We, we get great stuff like that. So, okay, we know that we've got uh, the church on Ruby Road. Church, mm-hmm. sure. Ruby, got it. Ruby, new, new companion, great. So that's going to be loads of fun. Looking forward to it. Really weird that while they're preparing or we're getting information for this, they're actually filming the next Christmas special already? Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, so <laughs> reading articles and they're saying, oh, during the Christmas special filming, wait, this one or next one? Which <laughs> – you guys are so far ahead right now. That's weird. Um, so I am not mad. For the record, not mad. I am okay with this. No, no, no. Please continue and do it forever. Right? We love do your this. homework ahead of time just in case anything comes up to delay TV production for an entire year. Yes, thank you so much. 
But the flip side of it is that now there's a big question about when different regions around the world who have Disney Plus uh, screening within their respective region, what dates are accurate and what times within those dates. And the more I started reading into this, the more confusing it got, which just led me to remember how much I hate things like daylight savings time. And then it all just went off the rails. As as someone that lives in a place without daylight savings time and on the West Coast and not the East Coast, I think I am the expert to explain this. Okay. Typically what happens is Disney Plus has a worldwide release time. It's not like midnight for you where you live and then midnight for somebody else where they live. It's like, this is when it releases. This is when it is available. So I think the BBC will probably have said, this is the time that it should be available. Um, And that's probably going to be based on when they plan to air it. If I had to guess, I would say it would be an hour after their broadcast air on BBC One is when it will Mm -hmm. be available on Disney+. Plus. So that's 6.30. Well, that that, that makes sense. Like that's what everyone is kind of suspecting up to this point, either like same time release or an hour delayed. But now we're getting promotional stuff from Disney Plus in places like Japan saying the special is coming November 25th. In order to have it drop on November 25th in Japan, it's going to have to hit before the 6.30 airtime in the UK. So that's where a lot of this confusion is coming from because Russell has gone back and doubled down and said, no, it's going to be the November 25th everywhere. And so people are asking, like, what does this mean? Like, does this mean the rest of the world is going to get this before the UK does? Which, given the way that they have been very protective with the 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 new Hooniverse, uh, uh, you know, umbrella and the Tales from the TARDIS, I don't see anyone in the production pipeline anywhere okay with that. So, uh, are the production or are the promotional? materials incorrect or is this like i I don't know how this is gonna i don't think it would harm anything for the bbc press center media center to just explain it's it it if if anything all it's doing is just saying okay we're, we're either gonna do it simulcast and it's gonna drop everywhere uh with respect to 6 30 p.m you know greenwich mean time or we're going to do it Regionally, and by regionally we mean that Disney Plus is going to have their options to be able to do it in in these you know these sixteen time zone slots uh, you know globally around the international dateline or whatever the case may be, but letting us know, especially now, I mean we're weeks two two weeks from this as we're recording, so do we know what time it's dropping in the UK? Maybe they're doing 6:30 it at like PM. six thirty p.m. It is six thirty, yeah. but that's okay. all we I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, right. That is the only thing we definitively know. Some of, I just, the, I, some of the speculation I've heard going around is that the uh, the people who signed papers at the BBC were unaware of how savvy and flat out greedy <laughs> the mouse can be, and that Disney has the rights to push the the episode at whatever time they want on the day that it it airs. So the the BBC being you know, trying to get control of the situation, not sure how to handle it, hasn't said anything because they don't want to have to walk anything back. Right. Mm. It's the fine print. Everyone has to read it and yeah, they, uh, they, somebody missed they out. They just clicked the yes on the, the Disney Plus user agreement. and yeah. That's what happens when you get DocuTech and then you got to like sign things and you don't actually read it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Terms, conditions, <laughs> blah, 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 I mean, blah. I, I think as... As consumers outside of the UK, I don't see this as anything but a you know anything for us to 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 worry about too much because we're either going to get it around the time that the UK does or potentially earlier in the day. I don't know, but yeah, it's true. If nothing else, I think it just means that well, Disney has had an opportunity on many of their properties to be uh, to be specific about release times and they've always avoided that you mm-hmm. know when mandalorian was at its peak and 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 programs like that they would just say okay boop it's going to be 
it's going to be your Wednesday or it's going to be your Thursday or whatever it is. And, and you figure that out. Just when you wake up, don't you worry, kiddo. When you wake up, it'll be there. And, and that was effectively it. Joke's on you, Disney. Some of us don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, I do know that um, as, as we were talking about the preparations for this Christmas special versus that Christmas special and, and the fact that they are now writing well into series 15, or as some people are, are trying to force us to call it, se- uh, season two. Mm-hmm. That they want to call the upcoming season, season one. Yep. Hard reboot. Oh. Yeah. It, it not not that it's trying to, this is how the BBC is advertising it. Yeah. That Shooty's this, first season will be season one. Which to yeah. some extent- What I, is this? New, new, new who? No, new, I knew. I understand there, it because you, you know had a lot of people. You know how much of a nightmare off. the episode numbering is already with the <laughs> 1963 series and then the 2005 yeah. series, and now you want to add but, but, a 2024 yeah. series that also has a season one. I understand it because now Disney Plus is trying to push it to a much larger audience, and they don't want to be like, "Hey, come join us for for series 15," and people are already going to be like, "Well, that's way too much for me to get caught up on. I'm out." So they just want to be like yeah. season one of Doctor Who. Get everybody in who wants to see it without any of the backstory, anything like that. So it's mm-hmm. I understand why they're doing it. I don't agree with it. It 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 rankles me, but it makes sense from trying to grow your fan base from where it has gotten to. Well, if that's the case, and they are going to treat this, as Russell has said, very reminiscent of the Eccleston era and filming with the excitement levels of knowing that you're going to be bringing a lot more new people to the fore. You will not have Daleks and Cybermen in this upcoming season. I'm okay with that. I am too. I just want to know how they finally put the Terry Nation kerfuffle to rest if that is still truly a thing a big bag of disney money right or something uh or maybe it's something where the there was the rumor for a while that if they at least appeared somewhere they didn't have to have a written episode but they had to just you know you had to trundle one past the screen at some point i think at this point though like it gets watered down if they're everywhere always a big bad who never makes it back Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest reveals from, I don't remember if it was Eccleston or Tennant, but we thought they were gone. And then the last one, and then it spins out and there are four more, and then they recreate more. Mm-hmm. You can't do that every season and still have a baddie who means something. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with the fact that we're going to take a little breather and then they'll obviously come back someday. Sure. But they've done the big reveals with Missy and all that. Like this has, it's been done a lot and I think we need some space. Right. I am very interested to have some new things to be terrified by. And I also feel that uh, it, much to Chris Chibnall's defense uh, as Russell said as well, the the involvement of Cybermen and Daleks in his tenure were amplified. That uh, was it. The um, resurrection? No, not resurrection. Uh, shoot, the the New Year special resolution uh, of the Daleks, where you had that scout and the Dalek that actually you know latched on to someone's back outside their shell and MacGyvered a whole new arm. That was freaking terrifying. That amplified the Daleks and gave them something entirely new to make them formidable again. And and the the lone Cybermen and all that whole bit, and then the the Cybermasters, whole new level. So great, good on you. Chew on that for a while, let that rest, and let's go find some new stuff to hate. So it's just a matter of how they handled the the legality of it. If there's still any legal muckety muck to deal with which yeah, maybe it isn't maybe that viewers wasn't really... don't care about the legal muckety oh, muck no, no, no. story and i wouldn't say that it had any beer i'm just for for curiosity's sake i just want to know whether there was still any validity to that so how they handle that and if it was just you know um uh, mickey bucks then it was mickey bucks i mean so maybe maybe you just show like some news footage in the background of an episode of like oh seven years ago today this happened and it's like a dalek scooting across the screen <laughs> 
<laughs> and the entire world looks at the screen and says, yeah, I don't remember it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. They've got candy that's shaped like Daleks and they eat it. <laughs> oh, you mean my pepper pots? This is my pepper pot collection. We do, as we mentioned a little while ago in the Toymaker conversation, there is that whole Haley's conversation about the timeless child somehow connecting to what reality are we currently dealing with. There is apparently going to be at least some mention in the second special that upholds the flux and the timeless child complexity. I was trying to find the right word for it. That was questioned whether or not RTD would just say, no, I can't, I can't canonize that. That's, that's too messy. I need to step around this and Mm -hmm. pretend it never happened. But apparently he thought it was really interesting and intriguing and wants to uphold it. So it's going to get some anchor. I don't know if it's, what Haley had had hypothesized, but it's <laughs> something, and it's happening in the middle of that weird um, wild blue yonder. So it'll be interesting to see how it kind of get tie- gets tied in. How uh, if they're able to sum it up in a way that makes sense to new viewers, in a way that's satisfying <laughs> to people that actually had to endure it. I was gonna say, yeah, make it make sense to to old viewers too. Right. That through right. it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what did I? What did I just watch? No shade, but I really trust Davies to stick the landing on it more than Chibnall at this point. Agreed. Yeah. 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 More than just being rapid fire soliloquized at the screen. Yeah. The last thing uh, that we have for for news here is um, I. We talk about legality here. The idea is that a couple of lost episodes, not having to do with the with the toy maker, we don't know exactly which ones, uh, have been located. But the individuals who have the film canisters are reluctant to turn them over to the BC, BBC because there has been a long-standing thought that the BBC will prosecute people who have been harboring stolen material. They're just declare them pirates, let them have clemency, and then it's over. Say, <laughs> so we want to parlay. So I obviously am more familiar with American <sighs> law than UK law, but is there not some sort of statute of limitation on this item? I don't know if there is a standing premise for, for such statutes uh, in any of those sort of cases, just uh, across, the, uh, across the board. But in this particular instance, I have to wonder... What the concern is, if these are collectors, uh, the the individuals who are probably holding on to these things were probably not the original individuals who, uh, (laughs) depending on how you want to use the verb, they were either lifted or rescued from the trash in the 1970s as they were going to be uh, discarded or potentially even burned. Uh, by the uh, by, the studio f- Look, to make space. When you work retail and you're told to throw stuff out, you damage that stuff out. Most of it goes in the trash. Some of it gets lost in your car. I don't know what you're talking about. I just feel like sometimes those people have alternate choices that get made because yeah. they don't agree with superiors and or they just feel like this is stuff that fell into the trunk of my car when I was taking out the trash. Right? I mean, stuff Wait. rolls under bay doors instead of going down the garbage chute all the time, especially around film canister. It just cannot be helped. Right. Cannot be helped. And that, you know, it's just, it's got a lot of round edges to roll on out. You take it to the basic level. When you throw an object out, is it still your property? No, the police are allowed to come and grab it. That's why you got to shred all your trash. <laughs> okay, Haley lives in a very, very harsh dystopian world. <laughs> for the rest of us, where the I sun still comes up in the morning, a lot of procedural television. <laughs> if you don't want the police to grab it, don't put it in your trash. Yeah, fair. I think, to your point, when it is still in your trash can, it is still your property. Mm-hmm. Once it's taken to the dump, I don't know who owns dump trash. Okay, but. You, when you work for a place, even when you work retail, you are told these things, you are not allowed to take these things. They must be physically destroyed, like Mm -hmm. old candy, old food and beverage, uh, supplies or other things that are sold 
that you're not supposed to allow others to either come and steal it. Right. Like it, it is a big, big no no. Right. So yeah, Ooh, I mean, the I fact have a that people fun have Walmart it. story to tell about this. <laughs> they accidentally ended up with Bloods and Crips T-shirts one time, and those had to be like processed through claims, and no one could take those home. But they were hanging in the back room for a very long time before it happened. So who wow. knows what happened to those shirts? Who knows, really? Who knows? <laughs> also. How did Walmart accidentally order Bloods and Crips shirts is a really fun question for all of us to <laughs> hypothesize on. But that's not done. <laughs> when you're the buyer for Walmart and you uh, binge drink and you think you're supposed to be working and you log into your work account and you order stuff accidentally. All right. So remember Doctor Who? This is a podcast about Doctor Who. <laughs> so somebody should make a YouTube video of like some Rube Goldberg situation where these film canisters roll out of the back room of the BBC and into some Porsche Bucks car. Yeah, it could be it could be done as simply as like the teacher that says, I don't know who it was that was responsible for stealing the box of pencils, but I'm going to turn my back. And if they magically reappear on my desk again, no harm, no foul. So but I do have to think that at the people who do have these items, they have to be worth some kind of money on the underground uh, retail scale. So would they be willing to just part with it for the good of, oh, I'm going to anonymously mail it in to you and you'll never know that it was me. I I don't know. I'm of two minds on that. I think to a certain degree, there are some collectors who would like to genuinely see it back into, into the, the, the greater fandom's hands. Why haven't they done it before now then? For fear of prosecution. This has been Anonymous a long Anonymous Dropbox. But why would they not have like digitized it and thrown it up on the high seas if they cared about everybody being able to see it. From what I understand from a lot of the ones that have been recovered, they require an extensive amount of reconditioning. So maybe it's resources, maybe it's know-how, maybe it's I don't want to reach out to the people who may know how to do this because they might not be able to stay as quiet as I can or whatever the case may be. But if the BBC is true to their word and they are saying, look, we're, we're going to, we're extending the olive branch and feel free to bring them back and we we won't you know slap chains on you um or hit you with any fines if that's the case great but there's i guess there are those individuals who say that they have at least these two episodes and there may be others this may be something where it sort of establishes a floodgate for others who have <clears throat> either truly or not so truly uh said that they have possession of things or know of their whereabouts it, it, there just needs to be something a little bit more certain. And if they can just do that, then I, I think a lot of this will get moving. We are going to have some episodes done um, for uh, increased animation. They're going to do a few more of those uh, in this 60th year. So we'll have the Dalek story for that, speaking of Daleks. Um, but they, <laughs> I just, can't we all just get along? I think I also really? saw a rumor that, you know, based on the 60th special, the Celestial Toymakers story might get remade with animation. Well, there was that one individual who did an amazing job animating, just as a, as a fan animation project of taking the first episode. And to get jobs and for fun, I think. That he's yeah, just... well, yeah, got, got, is, now, is now being... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and is now so busy that does not have the time to do episodes two and three. Uh, did say, though, that given his druthers, he would do two, three, and four, because given the freedom of what he's been able to explore in, in terms of scope with the first episode, he would want to see it carried through. That makes for... sense, especially knowing what we know about the budget issues they had in the initial production and how that limited what they could show us. To remake mm -hmm. it with animation with the scope that was originally intended by the script, I think is a really good idea. Yeah. But go out there, look for Celestial Celestial Toymaker fan animation. I think it was, I think Dino Puff was the individual who put it on YouTube. It's there. It's It hasn't been taken down yet. <laughs> There's enough of a disclaimer on every video. It's I good. guess so. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is good. It is really, really good.
when we come back in two weeks, and I can't believe I get finally saying this, we're going to be talking about the first episode or the first special for the 60th anniversary, The Star Beast. As it, it airs on <laughs> November. <laughs> I'm I'm super excited. Like we're we're within weeks. It's so great. Yeah. And what we're gonna try to do for the three specials is as it airs on Saturdays, we'll try to record within the next couple of days following and get it out as quickly as possible. It may still be a couple of days just because we're coming into holiday season and stuff and we're trying to fit our recordings in as tightly as we can and our editing and release time. So Try to get them out to market as quickly as we can, but no promises. It'll give you time to, you know, watch a couple before, you know, watch it a few <laughs> times before you listen to what we have to say about it. Right. This has been episode 507 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, the only way to win is not to play. <laughs> and this is Kier saying, get a special on one day, get six days to rewatch it. Over and over and over again, six times, get another special, get six days to rewatch it. This is perfect. What a way to end the year. This is Julie saying, I'll start uh, making the uh, minifigs and et cetera, so we can play some games of these new episodes as they come out. Ooh, little tiny meep. And this is Haley saying, oh, a third season one? Take pity on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. LZ. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.